be great if you could uh, turn back to the prophet Habakkuk, and we might have mercy on you. Bex, what page is Habakkuk on? Have you got it there? 940. When we were doing Zephaniah a few weeks ago, I owned up to the fact that the minor prophets in my Bible keep changing order, so I can never find out where they are. 940, if you're in a church Bible, I'm going to pray now as we come to this book of the Bible together. Oh God, we trust in you. Father, we know that you are the loving God who's revealed yourself fully and finally in our Lord Jesus, and you've revealed yourself in your word to us in its entirety. And so we trust in you as we come uh, to this part of your Bible, one that might be alien to us, one that certainly will have themes that are challenging, uncomfortable. Uh, Please, our Father, would we trust you? Would you be our teacher by your Spirit? And would you fix our eyes on Christ and the reality of the age we live in, that we might live to the praise of his glorious grace, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Habakkuk 1.1. The prophecy that Habakkuk the prophet received. How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen, or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore the law is paralyzed, and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous, so that justice is perverted. Now, I guess if you've never cried like the prophet Habakkuk cries here, you've never fully engaged with the world that is around us. Because if you look with any ounce of compassion upon the world that is around us, surely we must cry out like this. If we love those who are close to us and suffering, surely the voice that we speak to the Lord with is one of, How long, O Lord? Because our world is full of injustice and evil and violence. And it's not just injustice, evil and violence against the people of God. No, it's injustice, evil and violence within the people of God. Because actually, in these first four verses of the prophet Habakkuk, his complaint is about the state of the church, about God's people, Judah. Let me give you a brief overview of the letter. In verses 1 to 4, Habakkuk, who is a prophet in God's people, probably around about, we're going to see 597, a bit before that, 597 BC, says, what's going on, Lord? Your people are a mess. Why are you doing nothing about it? Then the Lord replies in verse 5 through to verse 11. And the Lord says, don't worry, Habakkuk, I'm sending the thoroughly evil Babylonians, and they're going to smash the living daylights out of you. Now, funnily enough, Habakkuk finds this a slightly dissatisfying reply. And so in chapter 1, verse 12, he says, Lord, I know what you're like. I know you're my God. I know you're from everlasting. But how does that work? They're more evil than we are. How can that be fair that you're using a more evil people to judge us? Will they ever stop? Well, well, I trust you, Lord, so I'm going to stand here on the wall and wait to see what you have to say about it. And then the Lord replies in chapter 2 and verse 2 again. And he says, don't worry, Habakkuk. I'm going to send judgment upon the whole world. No one will get away with any evil. Those who appear to triumph now amongst those who reject God's people, well, they will face my righteous anger. In fact, the way that people will live through my judgment, the righteous people 
will be those who have faith, who trust me, who trust in my saving work. To which Habakkuk replies then in chapter 3 with a song which basically says, Lord, I know what you're like. I remember how you've saved your people throughout the book of the Exodus, how you're the God who loves to redeem people. Therefore, now in our day, please, in your wrath and your righteous anger, remember mercy. My life is hard and it feels like things are just not working out, but I'm going to trust you because of the nature of the God you are. And because I trust you, I'm going to stand firm, not like a deer on the mountaintops, sure-footed, even though life looks craggy and difficult and hard to negotiate. That's the uh, New Living Daff translation of the book of Habakkuk. And you can probably absent yourself from church on Sunday evenings for the next four weeks if you wanted to. But we're going to now just look at those first four verses, verses 1 to 4, as Habakkuk asked the question, How long, O Lord, will you let your people be such a mixed bunch? Because the church is a mixed bunch, isn't it? It has been God's people throughout history. That's certainly the case today. There are many who would say, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian, but they pervert the word of God. If you're here tonight and you're not yet a follower of the Lord Jesus, I guess the first thing we want to do is say, please, please don't judge Jesus entirely on what those who call themselves Christians say and do. I mean, it's not just the Church of England, which uh, I used to be a member of, that is a moral joke. In fact, there's probably hardly a week, is there, when on our news there isn't another abuse case, another pastor or a priest, either now or in the past, who's being hauled before the courts for the way that they've behaved. In fact, sadly, it's usually the only time that churches make it into the headlines. When I was training to be a pastor at Theological College, I decided to go and play rugby with some of the lads at Middlesex Uni. This was a foolish move in the fact they were 10 years younger than me, and it hurt a lot. But at the first training session, rugby boys being rugby boys, the joke was, ha, training to be a priest then, are you? You must be a paedophile. That's what the world says about the church. And the sad truth is, often they're not far wrong. And I guess some of us cry out as Habakkuk does when that news headline flashes up. Lord, why are you letting your name be treated like this? I mean, if this is your people and and this is supposed to demonstrate what Jesus is like, why is this in the news? Why do you let people like that in amongst us? Why do you let your name be dragged through the mud? You see, the, the prophet Zephaniah, who we studied a couple of weeks ago, I guess Zephaniah was a prophet through whom God asked searching questions of us. But but the prophet Habakkuk is one through whom we ask searching questions of God. And as we study this book over the coming weeks, we're going to see that though it's short, it covers some massive issues. World history, God's eternal plan, his complete control of everything, the existence of evil under the control of a sovereign God. And finally, God's delivery of final justice. But but today, those first four verses. And to understand Habakkuk, here's the first thing. Context is key. In the Bible, where we are in the Bible and where we are in the history of God's people is always key to understanding it correctly. So have a look at verse 1 again. The prophecy that Habakkuk the prophet received. 
Well, it gives us very little help. We know nothing about Habakkuk. He's not mentioned anywhere else within the scriptures. But we can date the book, if you look down at verse 6, as sometime before the Babylonians come in judgment. And we know the Babylonians came and conquered Jerusalem in 597 BC. Then they came back in 586 BC and flattened the entire city. So it looks like we're before that date in the history of God's people. Now, if you don't know, that was a time when God's people were rebellious against him. After the high point in the history of God's people, which was probably when David's son, King Solomon, built the temple in 1 Kings 8, well, it was downhill from then on in. The people quickly followed foreign gods. They committed idolatry. As a judgment, the kingdom was split in two, Israel to the north and the smaller area of Judah to the south. Israel continued in rebellion, and in 722 BC, the Assyrians are sent by God in judgment. They come down, they smash the nation of Israel, and it ceases to exist. The old nation of Israel hasn't existed since. Judah continues in the south, and the kings are distinctly variable, until finally Manasseh becomes king of Judah. His sin, we're told, was worse than all the others, and God says, as a result, judgment is coming upon my people. Jerusalem's going to be invaded. It's only a question of time. Even good king Josiah, Manasseh's son, can't delay the inevitable. And it looks like Habakkuk is is written at the end of Josiah's son Jehoiakim's reign. And we can read about Jehoiakim in 2 Kings 23. It tells us this in verse 37. And he did evil in the eyes of the Lord, just as his fathers had done. That's the world of Habakkuk. So Habakkuk is a prophet from the time when God's people are far from faithful. But, But you'd expect, therefore, surely the book to be a rebuke. It'll be God saying, look, sort your lives out. But Habakkuk doesn't record a word from the Lord to his rebellious people. No, he gives us two complaints by Habakkuk and then two answers from God. Before in the final chapter, we see Habakkuk's prayer about what he's learnt. So what is Habakkuk's first complaint? Well, it comes in verse 2, Habakkuk's complaint How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry to you violence, but you do not save? It's a cry of desperation. The word call for help is the same word that's used by the prophet Jonah, if you know him. As the water begins to fill his lungs, as he drifts to the bottom of the ocean. See, the Lord, I need help. I'm going down here. I need saving. But Habakkuk is accusing God of doing nothing. I'm here, Lord, up to my armpits in the evil of your people, and you're not doing anything about it. You ignore violent men who crush the weak. They take their property, they destroy their lives, and you don't even lift a finger to help. Look at verse 3. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. I have to look at this stuff day in, day out. The morality of your people looks nothing like the teaching of your word. Why do you put up with it? I don't understand. 
Why don't you appear to care that the people who bear your name, Lord, are tearing themselves apart? That there's no sense of love or community in Judah. It's a dog-eat-dog world out there, God. Lord, can't you see what you make me see? Are you blind to the way that people treat your word? And what does he say in verse 4? Therefore the law is paralyzed, and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous, so that justice is perverted. God's law is useless, ineffective, frozen it appears. There's no justice. The wicked, they rule, and the righteous are so outnumbered that, well, a fair trial has long since been a distant memory in the land of Judah. Lord, your word doesn't work. People ignore it. I mean, even, even the people who claim to follow you. I'm supposed to be a prophet here, upholding your law in your land, and I'm surrounded by evil men on all sides who are more powerful than me. And then do you feel the, the utter helplessness of Habakkuk? He experiences total hopelessness of the situation. He, he feels like a minnow swimming against the tide of onrushing evil, incapable of stopping it. And God just seems to be letting things get worse. Prince uh, Charles said in his birthday tribute to his mum, the Queen, there is no doubt that the world in which my mother grew up, and indeed the world in which she first became Queen, has changed beyond all recognition. He said that for her 80th birthday, 11 years ago. What will be the changes that have even happened since then? Think about changes in the church in this country, the the Church of England, the the Queen is the governor of. What's happened in her reign amongst God's people? Well, there's been a, a radical decline in church attendance since 1953, especially amongst the under 50s. There's been an increasing skepticism towards the Bible in those who profess the name of Jesus. Uh, We've seen the ordination of women and the ordination of women to be bishops. We've seen a massive confusion about sexual practice, not just issues of same-sex attraction, homosexuality and transgender, but actually an accommodation within the church of sexual promiscuity amongst God's people. The idea in most churches that you should save sex for marriage would be laughed upon. Certainly no one would dare teach from the front that that was the norm. You see, those who suggest that the word of God should be held as a benchmark, well, they're laughed at on church councils and they can be ignored in church hierarchy and ridiculed in the media. But I think it's all too easy for us as you know, good, independent evangelicals to take a pot shot at those who, who don't take the Bible seriously. But let me ask you, how much do you crave the holiness of the church? How much do you long for yourself and for the people who gather together under the name of Jesus that we would live with him as Lord, not just speak of him as Lord? You see, I don't know about you, but I think I'm much too quick to take a pot shot at the world around me. It's a very easy thing to do, isn't it? I'm doing it all the time. You've heard me mock the BBC or the reality TV shows. We can look out at the world and think, oh, yes, they are terrible out there. Aren't they awful human beings? But fortunately, I'm not like them. 
But actually, God's word never calls the church to judge the world. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 12. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. In other words, the priority of the church is not the holiness of the world, it's the holiness of the church. And therefore, how long, O Lord, will we be such a a mixed-up people, such a compromised people? Shouldn't that be our daily cry? Because the way we are reflects on what people think of the way God is. So why does Habakkuk complain like this? Well, it's our third heading. It's Habakkuk's example. Let's have a look at what he prays and, and what we can learn from that about maybe the way that we should pray. You see, firstly, Habakkuk's example is that it's a prayer based on God's plan. Have a look at verse 2 again. How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen, or cry out violence, but you do not save? Now, do you see what Habakkuk expects? He expects God to act. He expects him to listen, and he expects him to save. It's not a question of, Lord, are you ever going to do anything? It's a question of how long until you do what you've promised. See, Habakkuk knows that the Lord has spoken in his word. He said to his people, look, you will be punished if you disobey me. And this is a prayer based on God's revealed plan. You see, the Lord promised his people back in the book of Deuteronomy, his Old Testament people in Deuteronomy 28, if you obey me, there'll be blessing." You won't be able to keep the blessing. It'll be so enormous. It'll it'll pour out over you. But, But if you disobey me, well, he said this in Deuteronomy 28, verse 15. If you do not obey the Lord your God and do not carefully follow all his commands and decrees that I'm giving you today, all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. You'll be cursed in the city and cursed in the country. That's why Habakkuk is incredulous at God's inaction. He knows God has promised to act in his word, and therefore he's saying, how long till you do what you've said you'll do, Lord? How long till you sort out your disobedient people as you've said you will? Now, we, standing here after the Lord Jesus Christ, have even more precious promises. You see, we know that those curses, curses that we deserve for the way that we have disobeyed God have been borne by the Lord Jesus. Paul says in Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. In other words, we know that whatever our disobedience, we will never face God's righteous anger because Jesus has died for us to take it. And we know that one day the Lord will return and judge all people and take us to be home with him. He'll bring an end to all the evil in the world and he will purify his people, the church. But that shouldn't make us less interested in our holiness, less concerned about the way we live. In fact, Peter, the apostle, writes this in 1 Peter chapter 1, Verse 17, he says, Since you know a father who judges all people impartially, 
live your lives here and reverent fear. In other words, because you call on this God as your father and you know what is coming, live your lives here in reverent fear. See, Habakkuk's prayer is based on God's plan and we know what God's plan is. God's plan is that there will be a future day when all people will stand before him and all evil will be judged. And we know what God's plan is in the past, that Christ has borne our sin in our place. And we know, therefore, our place in history lies between the cross and resurrection and the return of the Lord Jesus, the days they call the days of salvation. And when we pray, therefore, we should pray according to God's promises. You see, when was the last time you, you cried out, How long, O Lord? Until that great day when the Lord Jesus comes. Until that day when your justice will be seen in all the earth. How long, O Lord, until every knee bows and every tongue cries out that Jesus is Lord. When was the last time you prayed longing to see your Savior face to face? The day when all evil will be destroyed once and for all. I mean, when was the last time you woke up slightly disappointed in the morning because it's another day like the last one and you're not with Jesus in a perfect new creation? Disappointed that there was still evil in the world and evil in your heart and evil in the church. See, most of the time, I don't know what you're like, but I don't pray in the light of the big things that God has promised, the realities of his word. My prayers are just a little bit pettier, smaller. But but there's another reason we don't pray as Habakkuk does. You see, Habakkuk's prayer is based on God's plan. Secondly, Habakkuk's prayer is based on God's justice. What Habakkuk wants to see is God's people living by God's standards. Do you see in verse 3? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? He cares for the things that God cares about. Habakkuk cares for salvation, for justice, for righteousness, for the end of wrong. There's a certain lack of self-interest, isn't there, about the way that Habakkuk speaks. You've got to admire what he's concerned for, the questions he asks. It's not, how long, O Lord, will my ingrowing toenail give me grief? Or, how long, O Lord, will I have to do this slightly mediocre job, profit amongst your people? Or, how long, O Lord, till I can enjoy my pension plan? It's no, how long, O Lord, until you and your heart for your world are fully realized. He prays based on God's justice. I guess that most of the time I'm too self-absorbed, too self-centered to care about the things that God cares about. See, Habakkuk's concern is is primarily for God's people because they are God's people. The, The reason that he longs that God would act is so that God's name would be honored and praised amongst his people. It's God's law that's being treated with contempt and therefore it is the Lord who is a laughing stock because of the way his people are acting how much do you care about the holiness of God's people I'm not in a self-righteous way there's there's nothing worse than the self-righteous person who in a holier than thou way looks down on those who they don't think are performing quite as well as they are in the Christian life but but 
in a way that is passionate that we would all help one another live wholeheartedly for the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to how Peter, again in his letter, describes Christians. It's 1 Peter 2.9. He says to them, But you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That's our purpose. That, that something about our corporate life, because God has set us apart and loved us in his son, the Lord Jesus, would declare to the world around us God's praises. But if we don't live as people who love that God, well, then the sound of that declaration is at best muted. You see, we're not just a bunch of individuals who happen to have been saved by Jesus. No, God has called us into a people. You know, being a part of a church is not like being a member of a stamp collecting club. We all just happen to have the same interests, collecting stamps or this bloke called Jesus, and we get together at roughly the same time to share in it. No, we're bound together as God's people. And the Bible makes it clear, therefore, my holiness and your holiness are bound together. The way I behave, you should care about. And the way you behave, I should care about. Because the holiness is the holiness of God's church corporately, not just us individually. We uh, used to have some uh, trouble in our youth clubs in Preston. If, uh, if you think that, you know, you get a bit of a rough crowd sometimes in uh, Adventures or Fusion or JF, I can guarantee we had more fun in our chill-out club. It was the most stupid named club in the world because it, one thing it wasn't was a chill-out. Uh, we had at one stage in our chill-out club six kids with ASBOs. So that's quite, uh, quite a collection. And uh, one week, one of the lads punched another. He thumped another. Now, I thought he'd done the right thing in some ways because he hit... He hit this bloke because he was slagging off his mum. Now, when someone, someone bad-mouths someone we love, or insults someone we love, you know, we get offended, don't we? We care. Now, you know, I, if someone's rude about someone I love, I, I want to thump them. I don't, because that's wrong. You know, but I, I do want to. Well, that's Habakkuk's attitude here. He looks out on God's people, and he loves the Lord... And so as he looks out on God's people compromised, he cares. He really cares because the Lord he loves looks an idiot because the people of God are living without any reference to him. See, our our desire for holiness as a church, our desire to be Christ-like, should stem from our concern for our reputation for our God. And therefore, when we see Christians publicly ridiculed, well, we should cry out, like Habakkuk does. One of the the sad things I've found in my time working as a pastor, not here um, as yet, but the two men who I had to go and challenge about their adultery, I found out that there were at least three, four, five other members of the church who'd known about it sometimes for years beforehand and said nothing. We've got to be concerned for one another and how we're walking with the Lord because of the reputation of our God. And we don't love one another properly if we ignore each other's sin and don't call one another to account 
and help each other to live for the Lord Jesus. You see, we've, in one way, not just become content with a world where evil thrives. The danger is we become content with a church that looks just like the world around it. And we need a passion for God's justice, for his righteousness. But how, how can God tolerate the mixed up bunch of people we are? I mean, how can he tolerate us? How can he tolerate Judah? Well, it's the third thing that Habakkuk's prayer is based upon. It's a prayer based on God's character. Because there is a, a genuine incredulity, isn't there? A shock in Habakkuk's voice. It's, how long, O oh Lord? What on earth is going on? How, how can you keep putting up with this lot? He can't quite believe the Lord has done nothing yet. Or, or verse 2, 3, why? Why do you make me look? Why, why do you keep tolerating them? It's almost like he can't understand how God's failed to act. And do you know that only our God would tolerate such a prayer? You see, only the God of the Bible, the God who's made himself intimately and personally known in the Lord Jesus Christ, is the God who you can go to like that. There's there's never, there's no other God in the history of the world that allows you to go and argue with him, to, to raise your concerns with him, to bring your questions to him. Jesus himself told a parable in Luke chapter 18, a parable about a a widow who keeps going to nag an unjust judge. And the the message of the parable is this, you can keep going back and back and back to your God because you know in the end he will give you justice. So often people demand that God justify himself, explain what he's going to do, that that God stick to their plan. But, But that's not what Habakkuk's doing. Habakkuk's coming to the Lord who he knows is good and he knows is just and he knows is powerful and basically Habakkuk's saying Lord please help me to understand why it is that you're tolerating evil amongst your people when you're perfectly good that's faith seeking understanding see the Lord doesn't call us to to blind faith he doesn't call us to to a trust in him that means we can't ask our questions. If, if, if you're not yet a Christian here, you, you need to understand, none of us here have all the answers. Actually, as you go on in the Christian life, there are a whole new set of questions you suddenly start facing that you never thought of before. But we do have a God who has the answers, and we do have a God who welcomes us coming to him with our questions. I um, had some Jehovah's Witnesses knock on the door when I was preparing this sermon. I think they got more than they were bargaining for. There was Austin, who was up the front, I don't know if you saw him this week, and then Simon, his acolyte behind. If the JWs come round, there's always the, the guys doing the speaking and the guys learning behind. It's not a bad pattern. They go out in twos. You've got to understand, if you have an argument with them, they love you for it, because when they come out, they've been told that you're persecuted for testifying. So the worst thing you can do is have an argument with the JW. The best thing you can do is say, oh, do come in and have a cup of tea. I've been looking forward to you coming. Totally shocks them. They don't know what to do with that. Anyway, I got chatting to Austin. And the JWs have, uh, they've learnt a set of texts And they basically expect us as Christians to be totally ignorant on a number of things. They don't expect you to believe in a new creation. They expect your understanding of the last things of Jesus' return to be totally and utterly minuscule. So they expect you to talk about heaven as this sort of amorphous place that we might go to. So you need to swat up if you want to chat to a JW about the return of the Lord Jesus and the new heavens and the new earth. 
Okay? The second thing they do is they proof text. They get some text, preferably from obscure parts of the Bible, that they can quote at Christians because we don't know our Bible well enough. And to be fair to them, often we don't. Poor old Austin, he chose to quote the book of Zephaniah to me on, <laughs> on Friday. So Austin said, as you'll know in Zephaniah 2.3, and internally I began to smile, there's no assurance of salvation because the Lord says, maybe if you seek me, I'll accept you back. And I said, Austin, you need to read on to chapter 3, mate. If you read chapter 3, you'll find a wonderful chapter of God's grace. But because the sad thing about the Jehovah's Witnesses, we'll get back to the sermon in a moment, is this, that one, Jesus isn't fully divine. So there, there, Jesus is not the eternally divine Son of God, which means it, it robs us of knowing God truly as he is, because Jesus isn't the Lord walking the earth. It also robs us of the God who loves us enough to die for us himself in the person of his son. Because of the cross, it's not that God in the person of his son is bearing his own punishment in our place. It's that God has created this person called the son and then dumping our sin on him. And that's not fair, is it? So I said to Austin, look, mate, the problem is your Jesus is too small. And therefore, you don't see how much God loves you. Anyway, I I ended the conversation by saying, anyway, Austin, um, I'll tell you what, I'll take some of your literature, I'll take the Watchtower and stuff, I promise to read it, as long as you'll take a copy of John's Gospel and promise to read that. And do you know what he said? No, I won't do that. you serious, Austin? No, I'll I'll take your literature and, and I'll promise to read it if you'll take this copy of John's Gospel and promise to read that. And Austin wouldn't do that. Because it's a cult. And, and they can't risk anyone giving them anything to read that they might actually challenge what they believe. You see, the, the God of the Jehovah's Witnesses doesn't welcome you turning up and saying, look, Lord, I'm not quite understanding what's going on here. Please, could you help me out on this issue? Because you can't argue with him. It's the same with, with the God of Islam. You don't study the Quran and ask questions. You learn it off by rote. In fact, you don't even have to understand what you're saying. You just learn it off by heart in Quran school. Allah does not allow you to come and go, how long, O Lord? That is an incredible insolence. But our God does. Our God actually puts innumerable examples in his word. We just read one from Psalm 13 of people coming up to the Lord and saying, how long? I'm not getting this. What are you doing? And that's because our God is the true and living God who has become a man in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the God who's drawn close to us, the God who is sympathetic towards us. See, we don't know everything God is doing in the world. In fact, even the saints in glory are pictured in the book of Revelation saying exactly this, How long, Lord, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? But, But true faith? Even when we don't understand why the church is mixed up as it is. Even when the next news headline flashes up making a mockery of Jesus because some pervert have used his name to get in amongst the children of our society. Even when we can't work out what's going on, we know this. We can pray according to God's plan. The plan that tells us that one day everything will be made right by him. And we know that because Jesus has died and risen for us. And we can pray according to God's character. 
that means we can take our concerns and our fears and our questions to him. And even though we don't know the answers, he welcomes us coming to him. And we can trust him, waiting for that great and glorious day. Only we have to be prepared to receive the answer that we get. And in one way, the answer that Habakkuk gets next week gives him more of a headache than a solution. But we'll have to wait till next week to see that. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you are the God who we can come to with our confusion and our questions, with our doubts and our concerns. You're the one who welcomes us coming to you. Thank you so much that we know the certainties of your plan. And our Father, we pray that in the light of what you have called us, your people, your church to be in the Lord Jesus Christ, of the fact that you have purified us in him to be a people eager to do good, please give us a desire, as Habakkuk has, to be a holy people, to be a people who live in a way that honors you, to be a people who you are disciplining and changing. Please, our Father, would your church be a better reflection of the beauty of your Son? Would we be a bride more and more who honors our glorious bridegroom, the Lord Jesus Christ? For we pray it for his name's sake. Amen.